Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Post Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Good morning. Yes, it is. It's Saturday morning. Time for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. A lot to discuss. I just heard Bob talk about this plastic bag ban in New Jersey. I was, sad to say, completely unaware that that was taking place. So I rushed onto the Internet, and I'm reading the story about it now. We are addressing the problem of plastic pollution head on with solutions that will help Mitigate climate change and strengthen our environment for future generations. That's what Governor Murphy says. So now if you live in New Jersey, you have to bring your own bags to the store because most stores are not going to be stocked with paper bags. Paper bags require 10 times the amount of trucks to deliver the same quantity of bags. This is what they're worried about in New Jersey, how many trucks it takes to deliver bags to stores. This is what they're worried about. In addition, so so now if you have an emergency, oh, let's go to the store, and you have to buy something big, you have no bag. Because these liberals, these, this is just idiocy. These people have truly gone mad. This is one of the reasons why I hate going to California. Because California is like the wacko police are everywhere. You can't have straws. You can't have bags. You got to pay for this. It's like, would you? No. I'd just rather stay out of your stupid state. And when I go to California, usually I go for one day. I go where I do whatever business I have to do in California. And then I get the hell out. Because I don't want to see I don't want to be a part of this. This And they're doing it to New Jersey now. I wonder if you New Jersey folks are going to be ready for this. I lived in Bergen County for a long time. I can't imagine going to the store in, Ber- in any of the Bergen County stores, especially on the fly. Oh, I didn't bring my bags. What are these people thinking? 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800 848 9222. Let me tell you some of the things we're going to do today. Princess Di will be with us later, later in the show. We also have a best selling author that's going to join us. Uh, his name is Christopher Rossell. He'll be with us in the next hour. Somebody go wake up. Somebody see if Curtis is around because after the next break, I want Curtis to come, come around if he's here and explain what's going on with Mr. Adams, the, the mayor. I still can't get over this jacket that he wore with whatever this political message was be in, in back of it, something about gun violence. I mean, these, this, these people never stop with the lunacy. 
this whole Met Gala thing, too, right? The Met Gala, the biggest show on earth, the biggest circus on earth. So they all show up, and he shows up with this outfit that looks like he's uh, he's the, the the ringleader in the in the Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus. The only thing that's missing is the top hat and the cane, and it's got some political message on the back of it. Then he jets out of town, and then he can't jet back in town for some reason. So yeah, now of course the story of the week has been what? We all know what it's been. Roe versus Wade. And the hysteria from the left is still continuing. And I mean, it is absolute hysteria. I'll give you a few headlines. We'll talk about them. This one is from uh, the Amazon Prime Washington Post. Opinion. Time for businesses to speak up for reproductive rights, says Wendy Davis. Well, number one, who cares what Wendy Davis says? This is that Texas gal that, um, you know, pro, pro-abortion. This is also from the Amazon Prime Washington Post. Opinion. Send a message on Roe v. Wade with your ballot. Oh, there's a new idea. By the way, the people that don't like Roe v. Wade, they're going to be, they have ballots too. Here's some hysteria from the old gray lady, our very own New York Times. From the editorial board, no less. America is not ready for the end of Roe v. Wade. Oh, no, we're not ready for it. Yes, we are. We weren't ready for the beginning of it either. That didn't stop you people. From Breitbart. That come. Pro-abortion radicals to terrorize churches on Mother's Day. We talked about this. Tomorrow's Mother's Day. The, the leftists, in addition to having a protest at Supreme Court judges' houses, which, by the way, was given the okay by the White House. They're like, ah, you know, we understand people's passion. Yeah, so what if they go to the justices' houses? Yeah. Pro-abortion radicals to terrorize churches. So they're coming for you in church on Mother's Day. There have already been, uh, there was one picture of a church vandalized. I forgot where it was. It was vandalized with like one of these liberal slogans, keep out of my body or whatever it was. And um, they're going to they're gonna do some more terrorizing of churches. This, of course, from AmericanWireNews.com. Fresh dilemma for CNN. Oh, this is a different story. Got mixed up in the abortion stack. Sorry. Fresh dilemma for CNN. New White House press secretary in bed with reporter. Literally. Yeah, this is the new, you know, um, uh, finally we're going to be, finally. Jen Psaki's getting out of there. and She's giving it to the under, under person. What's her name? Uh, Jean-Pierre, Karine Jean-Pierre. Well, Ms. Pierre is married to Ms. Mulvey, Suzanne Mulvey. And Mulvey works for CNN, so now the spectacle of a White House press secretary married to a CNN reporter. Yeah. 
What difference does it make? They've been in bed figuratively for decades. They might as well be in bed, literally, CNN with the Democratic establishment. All right, back to the abortion. Planned Parenthood, this is from where? Fox News. Planned Parenthood silent on how it's worked to examine Margaret Sanger's eugenicist past. I talked about this, but I didn't get to the story. Um, over a year ago, Planned Parenthood disavowed one of its founders, Margaret Sanger. She was a stone-cold racist and eugenicist. She was like the Nazis before the Nazis. She wanted to get rid of whole swaths of people. She wanted to get rid of black people. She wanted to get rid of mentally ill people. She wanted to get rid of anybody that wasn't white that she thought was inferior. And that was the birth of Planned Parenthood. Let's abort them all. Let's get rid of them before they get started. That's how Planned Parenthood came into being. And by the way, they're still at it. So Planned Parenthood started getting questions finally. Hey, you know, your founder was a Nazi girl. What about that? And they last year they finally got fed up with it. They said, okay, okay. Which side are you asking about our Nazi, our Nazi founder, our eugenicist founder? Look, we're going to study it. We're going to study our own origin, and we're going to come up with something that'll some answer to this because we're tired of it. They haven't come up with the answer yet. How are they going to explain this away, or how are they going to make this nice? Okay, so back to the stack. Again, the Amazon Prime, Washington Post. You see the theme here? Amazon uh, Amazon Prime, Washington Post. They're hysterical. They're worried. Opinion. Starry decisis is essential to social stability. The court doesn't care. Now, if you're familiar with this whole concept of starry decisis, you know that it's like, okay, you can't overturn a precedent because, ooh, ooh people rely on the precedents. That's starry decisis in so many words. What they failed to say is that states running their own abortion policy was the law in America for over 150 years. That's the starry decisis. Roe versus Wade upset that precedent. And the liberals didn't care about starry decisis then, so why are we hearing about it now? This from bizpackreview.com. Ted Cruz speculates Sotomayor's office is source leak. It's beyond imagination that a justice, was, a justice would do this. Mm, is it? I don't know where it leaks from. From NBC News, the parent company of PMS NBC. Abortion laws worldwide. In what countries is abortion legal? Wow. This is what I'd like to go through because, you know what, the United States is not the only country that's dealing with this whole so that's some of the abortion stack. We can get to some of that, and we will get to. I want to start when we do uh, with the abortion stack. Start with this one. It's time for businesses to speak up. And, of course, we've got people already. Some of them want to talk about the bags. And we'll take those calls and more when we return on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. I'm James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Don't go anywhere. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Oh, what a night. Oh, what a day it is. 
<laughs> Thank you. Our Saturday morning of radio extravaganza. If you're just coming in from your oh, what a night. Good for you. Curtis is here. Curtis Lee was still uh, here probably doing some work. The guy is a, a work machine. He never stops working. So I asked him to come in for a few minutes because I was unclear about something. Curtis, thank you. Our mayor, Mr. Adams, he was at this Met Gala with this clown suit on, this this thing that looked like he was the ringmaster for the Barnum and Bailey Circus, and then he jetted out of town. I didn't know that. And then he couldn't get... Meanwhile, crime is still crazy numbers with the crime, and he was where? Well, first off, at the Met Gala, he was the fashionista extraordinaire. Remember, some of his friends said he lived for this. He couldn't wait to go to the Met Gala. And I said to myself, wait a second. You've got so much crime going on in the city. The polls are saying the people are now turning on you after four months. They're saying, we're not going to believe the hype. You said that you had a plan. Remember, the swagger man had a plan from day one. He was going to bring down the crime. And, James, do you realize after four months we've had more crime in the first four months of Eric Adams as mayor than in any four months when Bill de Blasio was mayor for eight years? That's scary. Crime is up over almost 50%. Yep. Can you wait a 50, almost 50% increase in criminal activity since this guy took over? And it's everywhere. It's in neighborhoods that never really had a major crime problem before. Uh, as Guardian Angels, we're now patrolling Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, Forest Hills just the other day in Queens. Forest which, Hills? Never, never before were we ever asked to do that. This is scary. Yeah. And people still, you talk to them about the subways, and they're like, oh, no, oh hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. I'm not going on the subway. I mean, people do have to. People that work and can't aff- don't have a car, can't afford a car, can't afford the parking in New York, which is outrageous and always has been. They have no choice. They have to either take a bus or a train to get to work. And they're petrified. And the majority of the workers are women. Uh, notice these, these uh, office uh, buildings, 50% empty. And you want nightlife because he says, I'm the mayor of nightlife? Without women going to the clubs, the restaurants, or the bars, you ain't attracting the men. Thank you. You are not. And they're not taking the subway. They are afraid. And not just from people thugging them up, you know, ripping them off, robbing them. But guys walking around the subways trying to prove uh, to women that they are not suffering from erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So I, when I was, in fact, on my way in the studios this morning, I saw um, an ad get Broadway tickets now for twenty three, twenty four, twenty nine, whatever it was, dollars. And I said, "Wow, that's really nice." And then I heard on 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 our top of the hour news, well, some of them are still having these mask mandates, and there some of them have vaccine passport mandates, and some don't. How do you expect to bring back business on Broadway with these mandates? And with the idea that, that you are still talking about forcing people to get a vaccine or show you proof of vaccine, like you're the freaking police. You're going to a play. I don't understand this. How, and without the Broadway, how do you expect the restaurant row to come back? Oh, it's endless. We're the largest city with the, uh, 
with the uh, failure to be able to show any uh, kind of comeback whatsoever. And every time there's a new variant, what do we do? We just double down on the uh, vaccine mandates, the mass mandates. Look at all these civil servants who were heroes. Remember in the aftermath uh, of uh, either 9-11, if they were on then, or uh, of the lockdown and pandemic, March of 2020. Every night we come out... It was 7 o'clock, we'd applaud the health care right. workers, right. the cops, the firefighters, the sanitation men, essential workers, the MTA workers. They were dying. I mean, massive right. numbers were dying. Right. And now, because they wouldn't get a vaccine, you're fired. No unemployment. Couldn't go out and look for another. Yet, when you have athletes to come to town, this mayor says, oh, give the athletes a pass. Let them play ball. Let them go around and bounce a ball around. They're okay. But to the workers that held the city together when no one else would, he treats them like dirt, like peasants, like they're not even worthy of being. I don't understand any of it. And meanwhile, crime is going nuts. So he goes out of town to do what? He goes to Los Angeles to appear with Michael Milken at a conference in which no elected officials were there. He's talking about uh, the information age, which he's not an expert on. It was really all a ruse because that night there was a huge fundraiser uh, in Beverly Hills at a billionaire's house that he attended. He was out there fundraising because he paid for the trip with campaign money. If this was, if this had to do with the business of New York City, we would have ended up paying for his trip. And then who does he end up with? Front row, he's sitting next to Beyonce, uh, uh, J.C., Madonna, Elon Musk, and uh, Jamie Foxx at Dave Chappelle's comedy presentation at the Hollywood Bowl. And ask yourself, how did this kid, really a kid, he's 23, Isaiah Allen, end up being in the first row? You know, that costs a lot of money. Right. Who's a homeless guy in L.A. He gets up on the stage. He tries to attack Dave Chappelle. He's able to ward him off. And then they gave him the beatdown of his life, all the security there. How did he get into the front row? I don't know. With a gun. With a, with a, with a plastic gun with a knife taped to it. And, meantime, and, then, and then after all of this, that liberal DA out there says, ah, we're not going to really charge you. That misdemeanor. So what? He may have killed a comedian. He may have killed that black comedian. Who cares? That black comedian doesn't like trans people. <laughs> so let's let the guy off. Who cares? Well, um, let him get a little. Gaston didn't say right. that. I'm saying it. Let him get a little taste of what average everyday people have to go through in L.A. and New York and Philadelphia and in uh, cities all throughout America where there's no prosecution of these cases. But if you notice right away, Dave Chappelle's lawyer, what? He's only charged with misdemeanors. He's going to be cut loose. Yeah, Dave yeah, Chappelle. Yeah. That's the way it is for everybody else, too. Yeah. So back to Mr. Our Mayor, Mr. Adams. Mr. I can't wait to go to the Met in my clown suit. Okay, he's out there in the front row with Mr. Z and Mrs. Z. And, um, uh, you know, Mr. Z, by the way, has escaped a lot of scrutiny in his past. He is just such a celebrated hero. Nobody talks about the past, but we're not going to do Look, it here. he either. shot his brother, and he got a number one rap record out of it. <laughs> Jay-Z shot his brother in the Marcy Avenue Project, and he's a hero. Well, you shot your brother. Hey. This is part of our culture today. Right? So, <laughs> so our mayor's out there hanging with Mr. Z and Mrs. Z and Jamie Fox and Elon Musk. Elon Musk, right, Musk right, yeah. Right, right. Okay. 
Meanwhile, crime is raging out of control here, and then he gets stuck out in L.A. because he can't get it. He no, can't no, just there's, there's all kinds of red eyes. You know that. If you miss one, you can jump on another. If you can afford to be sitting in the front row with this esteemed company, somebody's got a private plane they of can course. loan you and say, oh, you need to get back to New York. No, oh, here's a plane. Of here's course. mine. He didn't want to come back. He was too busy raising the roof. Party hardy. He's the, the mayor of nightlife. He's at Club Zero Bond every night with every trendoid freakazoid. He's hanging out with the TikTok girls trying to keep up with the Kardashians. Okay, let me. This is your city, folks. Remember, You're watching this in remember, our city. He is the swagger man who never had a plan to resolve the crime issue. He bamboozled everybody. I'm going to ask you. You ran for mayor against him. Yep. What would you do? What would you do, Curtis Lee? Okay, you're, you're talking about our mayor, our celebrity mayor. And we don't like the By the way, I get a lot of flack for talking about his dress. Even some of my friends. Would you stop talking about his dress? It makes you look so not serious. No, I'm talking about his dress. Because he spends so much time in the mirror, and he's always flashing it. Why shouldn't I notice and talk about it? I would never walk out of my house with that clown suit on, let alone go to the Met with it. James, uh, that's not off the rack. We're not talking men's uh, wholesale outlet. We're talking about customized suits and Ferragamo shoes every day. Right. What would you do? All right, smarty pants. What would you do to stop the crime? All right, number one, you need 6,000 more cops. You only got 34,000. You need 40,000. I would tax Columbia University, NYU, Madison Square Garden. They don't pay any property taxes, and yet they're buying up property all the time, takes it off to tax rolls. That'll give you the money for the cops. Then in the subways, you never see cops on the trains any longer walking up and down by themselves. Go back to the situation that always existed. You have one transit cop. He or she walks up and down the moving train. It gives people a feeling of relief. They can tell a cop, hey, you know, there's a guy in that next car. Uh, He had a knife. He was menacing people. They don't do that any longer. That's two ways right away you can affect the outcome of crime in the city. And you got to have the back of the cops. You can't say, you know, I... A month ago, this is what he said. I don't want anybody coming into the face of my cops filming them. It's a dangerous job. So the cops said, wow, he's got our back. Then a month later, you heard him just last week say, and if you see any cops on their cell phones that we've issued them in order for them to log everything that's going on because they don't have those books to write in any longer, you send pictures to me and I'll be down there tomorrow. So if you're a cop, you say, this guy doesn't have our back. If we get jammed up, He's going to be the first to turn on us. The morale is at an all-time low, and uh, Eric Adams does not have the back of the cops. And you can feel it in the streets and in the subways and the housing projects. Housing projects, they don't do verticals any longer. So they don't go into the stairwells, the cops, and go up and down. This is where the gangbangers are. This is where they're robbing people. People in the projects are mostly people of color. Who's, Who's getting victimized? The people who elected Eric Adams. So you elected him, you're stuck with him. And unfortunately, it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Wow. What about also naming names on the city council people who decided to go along with this uh, open turnstile, letting criminals out of jail, along with the the Alvin Bragg philosophy that criminals aren't bad people Give them another chance to rob and kill and rape you. Well, notice he has not said anything negative about Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg is DA. 
Uh, they might as well, in every Dwayne Reed, CVS, Walgreens, have Alvin Bragg swag bags. So when you come in and you want to shoplift, can I have my Alvin Bag Bragg <laughs> swag bag, please? Two of them, please. I want to fill them up and walk right out. 81% increase in shoplifting, killing retail in the city, which means it can, the city cannot recover if these thugs are going to go in and out and steal everything they can get their hands on. You ever go into a Dwayne Reed? Almost nothing can you get off the get off because the shelf. Everything has to be locked up now. With, with, with a chain, a chain, or you go into a supermarket. Oh, there's no hugging dots ice cream, man. It's like they steal it. Whatever they can steal and resell, they go to a nearby bodega. They'll sell it in the street. They'll sell it on the subway platform. They don't get arrested for it. They don't. And none of the DAs prosecute fair, fair jumping. They say, oh, you know, there's so much fare evasion. 30% of the people on buses don't pay their fare. 12% on subways. How are they going to subsidize this system? By raising taxes on people that are law-abiding citizens, those that are left, that haven't been killed, murdered, raped, harassed out of the city, or taxed out. Exactly, because there's no other way to subsidize this. In fact, the MTA, the money-taking agency, is saying to everybody, if we don't stop fare evasion... We're going to go bankrupt because there's no more stimulus money coming from Uncle Joe Biden, who is like, stimulus? What are you talking about? Oh, that's right. Uh, I I thought I gave you the stimulus. There's no more money coming from Washington. We're on our own. Curtis, thank you. It is sobering. And uh, look, Curtis, I'm going to say it again. I really want this mayor to succeed because I want a safe city. I, I don't want. You and your people out there having to do the work that should be done by law enforcement um, that we pay our taxes for. And thank God you and your crew are out there helping people where other people don't. You've been doing this for years. You've dedicated your life to protecting the people of this city. And I just wish that we had a mayor that would do the same right now. Well, remember, he's just enjoying the nightlife. And let's face it. He is a well-dressed man, James Goldman. He is a well-dressed man. He is a well-dressed man. (laughs) There are perks to being mayor in the city of New York. Yeah, you get to sit next to Mr. and Mrs. Z. How lovely. (laughs) James Golden, (laughs) a.k.a. Bo Sterling. Thank you, Curtis. We're coming back right after this. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Bo knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Oh, it's the Raisin commercial. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, with you here. It is Saturday morning, which means it's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Marvelous Marvin Gaye. Now, you notice that Marvin, if you listen to some later Marvin, and you listen to this, notice how his style of sing, his, his style changed. In his autobiography, or the biography, he talked about that. He talked about how he realized that he didn't have to 
project as hard. And so he started singing softer. And it made a big difference in his performance. So you go back and you listen to, like, sexual healing or, um, you know, stuff like that. Very different kind of a vocal sound. But he was always an amazing singer. Let's head to the telephones. Let us start in Bound Brook, New Jersey with Bob. Bob, thank you for waiting. How are you on this Saturday morning? Well, I'm okay, uh, James. Uh, it's nice to hear Curtis also. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting about the bag problem. And when I go, like yesterday, I was at Walmart and I bought some stuff. So I was, oh, man, I forgot the, the bags. There. I forgot about it. So they sell you bags if you don't have one, like 28 cents or 98 cents. That's like you're right. These stupid, idiotic, mentally sick in the head liberals are responsible for this. They're ruining America. And it's making me infuriated. But what infuriates me more than that, James, is New York City got eight and a half million people that live there. There must be about three million or four million that are old enough to vote. How come nobody, hardly anybody turned out to vote? They know that Curtis would would do what Rudy did to make it safe and secure. But he only got a few hundred thousand. How many people voted for uh, Adams and Curtis? I forget. Do you remember? I don't remember, remember the exact totals. Voted? I don't remember the exact totals on it, but let me just say this. Curtis spent his life, and it spent his life, uh, defending the people of New York on the subways in neighborhoods that other people didn't want to go to. Mayor Adams talks. Curtis does. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, and I I think it was only a few hundred thousand each. Millions of people should have turned out and voted. There's millions of people that are, many people are moving out. Okay, if you're going to stay there, vote. If you want to move, move. So if, if, why should I care about New York if the people who live there and don't even care to vote? Why should I? I'll well, tell I you do, why. But- I, I'll tell you why. Because <clears throat> unless we, meaning conservatives, right-leaning people, or even Democrats with common basic sense, if we do not save the cities of America, our nation will be dragged down. Every city in this country, every major city, you look at it, whether it's New York, whether it's Newark, New Jersey, whether it's um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, or, or some of these cities in, in Connecticut have had problems, systemic problems now for decades, okay? Remember when Patterson, New Jersey was thriving? You can go down the list of cities in New Jersey. You can go down the list of cities in upstate and downstate New York. You can go up, you can go to Pennsylvania and look at what has happened to Philadelphia, Philadelphia. You can go, <clears throat> yeah, sorry, you can go, go to Atlanta, right? And, and people don't feel safe in some parts of Atlanta. You can go to Los Angeles if you dare, to certain parts of Los Angeles if you dare. Portland, Oregon, I wouldn't set foot in that city. Antifa runs that city not law enforcement. And if you happen to be the wrong person, they will beat your ass, kill you, and nothing will happen to them. You can go to Seattle, where these liberals have destroyed that beautiful, once beautiful city. You go down to San Francisco. In San Francisco, things got so bad that people had were getting pamphlets from concerned citizens telling them what streets to avoid so they wouldn't step in human poop. I am not making this up. They gave them maps, the tourists, to avoid areas 
where they would be stepping all to, in that area of human defecation on the street so bad they were warning people off it. Conventions pulling out of San Francisco because they were being robbed coming out of the conference hall. People were being robbed and hurt. Okay, that's San Francisco today. Los Angeles, if you dare. I mean, of course, you can go to where the mayor went to Beverly Hills and to the high-end parts of L.A., where all the elitist liberals hang out. But go to Crenshaw? You want to go to Crenshaw? Really? You want to go to South Central L.A.? Really? No, you don't. I remember the first time I was in L.A. I remember my very first trip to L.A. I went to Compton. I was driving through Compton, right? And I'm sitting here. I had been reading for years and years that Compton was this ghetto. And we're driving in Compton, and it looks like Queens. You got these single-family homes, nice lawns, single-family structures. I'm saying, what the hell is this? This is not a ghetto. Oh, it was a ghetto. It was a ghetto in mentality because that's the ghetto that has that was the, the the forerunner of what we see today all across the country where gangsterism is is held up as oh this is lovely the street life is glorified that's what was going on back there so it was a ghetto only it didn't look like a ghetto you go to any city in America and you see these same things replaying and until we take back these cities and make these cities thriving and productive and safe again. America will never be the nation that it's supposed to be. So that's why we have to care what happens in the city. We can't just abandon the city. We can't abandon all these kids that year after year get sent to these failing schools in the city and come out unprepared to take part in American life. And no one seems to care about these thousands and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids that are trapped in these city schools that come out not knowing how to read, that come out hating America, that come out hating white people, that come out hating themselves. Because this is what is allowed to fester in these cities for decade after decade. We have to care, and we have to take these cities back. Justin, Hoboken, New Jersey, welcome, WABC. You're on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. How you doing, Bo? I'm good. What's up? Ah, oh, man. First time caller. I listen to you every Saturday. Um, I'm sitting in my tow truck on the police list over here in Hoboken. And like the other call, I you know, run into the 7-Eleven, get a coffee. I need a few things. And I'm doing a juggling act out the door because I don't have a bag. This and, is nuts. Uh, it's, it's very weird uh, towing over here. I'm here six days a week on the list, you know, at least once a day couple times a day sometimes and uh i feel like i'm the only conservative riding around and they all know it you know wow (laughs) hoboken used to be a pretty conservative town i know that you have a lot of millennials hanging out in hoboken now and hoboken and you know what hoboken and hackensack by the way i remember back in the day i mean hoboken was nothing like it is now hoboken is like jumping now and Jersey City, to some degree, when all the financial services companies started moving over there, things change. But let me ask you a question about Hoboken. Do you feel safe in Hoboken now? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel safe. Um, we're actually out of Jersey City, uh, the towing company I work with. 
And uh, so, you know, the Hoboken doesn't have its own tow truck company. So a handful of us from next door come and handle the police tow. And it's, it's very safe. It's actually not that safe where we're at in uh, Greenville area of uh, Jersey City. That can get kind of rough over there. Yeah. And these people, they got to come over there to get their car back. And it's, it's a trip, yeah. Oh. But, you know, it's safe over here. Yeah, it's very safe. Cool. I remember as a kid coming down to go to the city, my cousin and I would go down the hill sometimes. Instead of going to Journal Square, we'd take the path train out of Hoboken. Even back then, it was really safe versus um, next door. Nice. Justin, will you stay safe out there, my friend? Good to hear from you. Appreciate very much hearing from you. Hope to hear from you again. Tom, Brooklyn, New York. How are you, Tom? Good morning, Bo, a.k.a. Jeans. Thank I'm you. Saying it, I'm saying it loud, and I'm black, and I'm proud. How do you like that? I love it, bro. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I, I, I was talking about abortion, but I want to say something first about Adams, you know. Um, he seemed to be too occupied with Beyonce to remember that he was a cop, and he could have intervened, you know. He was more aware of his surroundings, you know. Mm. I'm, pretty sure that they teach, I'm pretty sure they teach those officers to be aware of their situations yeah. and their surroundings. Interesting call. Thank you on that. Hmm. Okay, what did you call in to talk about before, Tom? I don't want to talk about the abortion thing, but um, I'm in an in accident. I'm not going to make a joke of it. Uh, but it is once again brought out its, uh, its rearing head, and uh, it's called out all the crazies. You know, I hear people say that over time that they've said this legislation is unconstitutional. And smarter men and women than me had said this, you know, and I'm just trying to re- just get a good grip here, you know. And um, people are going to go to to churches and the justices' houses, their homes where their families are, and they're going to go protest there, you mm. know? And it just doesn't seem like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. You know, we, um, you know, this is not, this is not a good idea. You know, it's just legislation in the states can, can take care of this. And I'm, I'm sure that we can all come to a, 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 hopefully a partisan agreement and, you know, come to, you know, a, an agreement that, that would be more, um, I don't know whether we are going to ever get an agreement on this. When you said it brought out the crazies, it has brought out some crazies. There was a, uh, I wish I had it in front of me, I don't, the other day, a tweet from a leftist actress. And I'm going to just paraphrase the tweet. She says she said that, um, her last name was Duarte. She said that she wishes that she could have Trump's baby and let it gestate in her for nine months so then she could cut it out and cut its effing head off. This is, I'm telling you, and then you have another one where these people were surrounding a guy that was like doing the gospel, spreading the gospel out there, and they were these abortion, these pro-abortion people surrounded him and started saying, F your Jesus, F your Jesus, F your Jesus, and F you and all the rest of that. They are vandalizing churches, and so it has brought out the leftists for who they really are. And we're going to be seeing more and more of this until and well after this road decision is made. Thank you so much for your call, James Golden, a.k.a. Snerdler. We're coming back. A lot more to go on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our racist Democrat update. We haven't done one of these in a while. But, well, listen 
for yourself. Even back in the old days when we had real segregationists like Eastland and Thurman and all those guys. But at least we end up eating lunch together. That is your president, Joe Biden, remembering the good old days. The days of old. Um, days when them colleges knew their place. And things were right in America. That's right. When them colored people couldn't vote, them colored people couldn't go to school, and Joe Biden's kids didn't have to go to them jungle schools with them jungle people. That's right. Them good old days with Joe Biden in Congress used to sit down there, argue, fuss and fight, and then sit down and go to lunch with them good old segregationists, men like Storm Thurman. Them segregation now? Segregation forever days. That's when America was America. For them uppity, arrogant peoples started demanding equality. What the hell? Equality. And now, he's stuck with that old vice president he don't like because he got to put up a pretense. Notice, Kamala wasn't having lunch with them good old segregationists like Joe. And I miss, Joe said, I miss them days. I miss my segregation buddies. We used to talk all the time about, you know, how, well, just like Clinton said. You know, remember Clinton told Ted Kennedy, hey, back in the old days, don't you worry about that Obama fella. Back in the old days, that boy would have been bringing us iced tea. He said that. Don't be looking at me like that. That's what Bill Clinton said. He said that. He told that to Ted Kennedy when Obama was running against Kennedy. He said, he said, listen. That's what Bill Clinton said. Listen, Ted. Don't you worry about that Negro over there. Back in the old days, he'd have been bringing you some iced tea, asking you what you want. Yeah, he said it. Now we got Joe Biden, Mr. Joe, our president, remembering America in the days where life was good, when there was a breeze of segregation running through the country and them people couldn't mix with us, with them, because I'm one of us, but with them, when the only thing that you could ask, hey, boy, bring me a mint julep, will you? So, we should feel sorry for old Joe Biden because you know, folks, things have changed, and Joe just Joe just hurt. He just hurt right now, and you can understand why. Entertaining and informative, James Golden, aka Bo Snurdly, is on the air. Seventy-seven WABC. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. All the notes bring us back. Sarah, this is one of my favorite Hall of Notes songs. We play this bumper a lot because we all love it. Now remember, later in the show, we are going to hear from best-selling author Christopher Rosso. Also coming up, uh, Diana Mee. Princess Di joins us on today's Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Let's head back to the telephones 
And let's go to Staten Island and Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Welcome. Hello, Jimmy. Well, hello, Frank in Boston then. <laughs> well, I think the Demo- I think our Democrat update might have scared old Jimmy there. Uh, Frank <laughs> in Boston, how are you? Oh, I'm still laughing at your, your early morning thing with Curtis. That was wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Listen, are you old enough to remember Clyde McFadder and the Drifters? Of course. Lucille? The Drifters, of course. Who? Yes. Now, Lucille. I don't remember Lucille offhand. I remember the Drifters. And didn't the Drifters do Under the Boardwalk? Uh, no, I don't think so. Under the Boardwalk. There, there were two groups of drifters. The first one was Clyde McFadden's group. Oh. And then they went out of business and they brought another group. And that's that's the group I think you're thinking of. I didn't know there were two drifters. No. Yeah, there were. McFadden was very, he was very angry that he didn't get the sort of recognition that uh, Sinatra got. He was just like Brooke Benton. He was the other one. Who didn't oh, really? Oh, Brooke Benton. Were, Oh, yeah, Brooke Benton was wonderful. He was amazing. But Brooke did have a hit. He had, remember, he did A Rainy Night in Georgia. And yes, what yes, a beautiful right. song yeah. that is. Yeah. But he always, those two always were out in public saying if we were white, we would have the sort of recognition that Sinatra had. I think that's true. Well, it could be. I don't know. I mean, if, if, if. But I'm going to tell you something about, I love Frank Sinatra. I absolutely love, love, love Frank Sinatra. And, you know, Frank Sinatra did something that most entertainers did not do in that day. He took a stand that could have cost him his career. He brought in people. And that wasn't just Sammy Davis Jr. I remember there was a when I think in episodes, I, I don't want to call the hotel out, but it was a Las Vegas hotel that was one of those where it's like, okay, blacks, you can't come in, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, look, if these guys can't come in, then I'm not performing. And they and so they he a lot this was Frank Sinatra. He was a stand up guy. And I just love Frank Sinatra. But I'm gonna look at that other drifters. Thanks, Frank. I do appreciate it. Let's go to Long Island and Kathy. Hello, Kathy. How are you? Well, I think Kathy's left us too. We can also go to Long Island and talk to Mary Beth. Mary Beth, how are you doing this morning? You went with James Golden? On our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you? Good morning. You are too clever for words. You really are. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying I always thought I was very quick to take. And when they changed the name of your show during the week, I was like, oh, okay, rush hour, you know, commuter time. And then I'm thinking, well, there's a little connection to you know who as well. Oh, there is? Oh. Hmm. Mr. Limbaugh, was that done like with a double meaning or it was just for the rush hour itself? Well, I think it, I don't know. We'll just have to, you know, I just, you know what? You should call this both nervous rush hour. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's it. So, hmm. Interesting. Beautiful one. You thank worked you. so hard for him and you're working so hard for us. So thank you. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm feeling very down after listening to so many um, messages about crime getting worse in New York City and, and things getting worse. Um, 
Mr. Adams just came into office and I'm like, oh, no, now are we going to have to say, well, four more years of this until things get better? This is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And doesn't he realize or doesn't he care? I don't know. But, you know, mayors can be recalled. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. And if things get to the point where people really are feeling that desperate, I believe there will be a recall effort made. I don't know whether it will succeed or not, but I don't understand how Mayor Adams could be looking at what's going on. His approval rating is already sunk by 19 points. I don't understand how he can just continue. But I say that every week and then week after week, what do we get? We get another story of him partying out somewhere with the rich and elite and ignoring what's going on in the city. So who knows? I mean, this guy just seems all show, no business. So your guess is as good as mine. But I tell you what, there's an opportunity right now, not just in New York. There's an opportunity in every major city in America. There are opportunities for conservatives to come into these cities and to change the dynamics. And for also moderate Republicans and Democrats that have common sense. There are more opportunities for real estate, more opportunities to set up a beachhead and to change public policy. There's so many vacancies. This is some primo real estate. It's not going to be forever. So people ought to start thinking about what they can do and how they can take advantage of this moment in time because it is not going to last forever. So let us go. Thank you, and I appreciate your, your compliments so much. Bob and Yonkers. How are you? Hi, uh, James. Good morning, Bob. What's going on? James, maybe you, you know the answer to this. During the debate with Adams, Curtis never asked him, is it true that a black woman asked, needs help from you when you're the Brooklyn president of the borough and you turn your back on her, then she was found dead? How can you ask that question? It's the papers had it in the paper. How come he didn't ask that question? Well, I'm not Curtis, so you're going to have to ask Curtis. But I wish you had gotten through when he was here because we would have just handled the question then. But Curtis will be back with us. So next time you hear Curtis on the air with us, just ask. Or, or you know, Curtis has his own show here, so you can call and ask Curtis anytime. You know, uh, yeah, those are the kind of questions. If I want to know, I think the bigger question is why would anybody vote for Mayor Adams who had no record of defending New York when Curtis Sliwa has spent his whole life defending this city? That's my question. But to the people that elected Mayor Adams, WABC Talk Radio 77. Okay, so we are headed up on the top of the hour. Of course, you know, Mother's Day is coming up this weekend on Sunday. The left plans to terrorize churches, especially Catholic churches. And if you are Catholic, by the way, I'd love to know what you think about that. They are targeting Catholic churches and they're targeting the Catholic Supreme Court judges. Now, I remember when Democrats, yeah, they did. Democrats, remember the John F. Kennedy election in 1960? They didn't want any parts of John Kennedy at first because they're like, oh, he's Catholic and he's going to be beholden to the Pope. They have come a long way from that now. Now they are attacking. They are so brazen that now they're attacking churches and they're attacking 
the members of the Supreme Court based on their religion. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about other things. We've got in the coming hour, best-selling author David Rousseau joining us briefly. Later on in the program, Princess Di joins us. And boy, that's going to be a smoking segment. And of course, your telephone calls always welcome at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And yes, our number one, done. Our number duo, coming up, be here. Don't go away. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome to our number duo of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you'd like to be on the program, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. Your calls will be a major part of the program. We've got best-selling author Christopher Rosso coming up this hour. Next hour, we have Princess Di. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to discuss with both of them and in between, and your calls as well. I want to go back to, I read headlines from the various news sources on the abortion issue, and I want to start delving into one or two of the stories at least. Time for business to speak up, businesses to speak up for re- reproductive rights, says Wendy Davis, the Washington Post. The story starts off with a lie. I mean, it is the Amazon Prime Washington Post, after all. Last April, as Georgia and other states pursued a host of new laws making it harder for Americans to vote, that's a lie. What they did was reform the voting process in many states where liberal Democrats made it easier to cheat. That's all they did. Okay, so let's start all over again with the lie, and then we'll move into the rest of the story. And last April, as Georgia and other states pursued a host of new laws making it harder for Americans to vote following false allegations of mass voter fraud. Ooh, there's a new movie that deals with that, by the way. Hmm. Hmm. And they have some things right now that I don't think are going to be refuted. But anyway, hundreds of chief executives at some of the nation's largest companies signed a letter endorsing voting rights. Woohoo, that took a lot of courage. Corporate leaders stepped forward to slam Georgia's new legislation, calling it unacceptable, wrong, and based on a lie. And you know what? It was based on a lie because Delaware's Delaware's voting laws are much more stringent than Georgia's as several other blue cities and states. So this was all one of the, again, one of these made-up liberal campaigns to suck people into believing that Republicans are racist, and naturally the uninformed go along with the liberal, including some of these uninformed corporate leaders who don't bother to check the political the political ideology of the people that are bringing them this crap. But the corporate reaction this week to a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion overturning Roe versus Wade, so far, mostly crickets. When Fortune, that would be Fortune magazine, reached out to 30 companies to ask them their thoughts, reporters barely received the courtesy of a response. Hmm. One word. 
two words, rodent kingdom. That's what happened, rodent kingdom. They all looked at how the rodent kingdom stepped on, yeah, stepped right on out there, didn't you, rodent kingdom, and started losing billions of dollars off your stock price, didn't you? In recent years, corporate CEOs have increasingly been willing to take public political stands speaking up about gun control, for example, or their support for the Black Lives Matter protesters. Hey, how'd that work out for you? You sent all those millions of dollars to BLM, and what'd they do with it? They bought mansions. They spent it on themselves. All that money that y'all thought was going to go to help black people. Well, it did help a few black people, three or four of them. They're living large now. Thank you, corporate America. All right. In the wake of George Floyd, blah, 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 blah. So why the silence now when women's rights hang in the balance? (laughs) Number one, women's rights do not hang in the balance. Can we really be straight about this and stop the BS? This isn't about women's rights. This is about the right of babies to live. This is not about women's rights. It's about children's rights. The right of children to be born and live a life. That's these women, you know, look, I get this. I get it. I get it, ladies, and I'm not trying to be divisive with you. I get it when you say, I don't want the government telling me what to do with my body. Okay, but it's not your body we're talking about. It's the body that lives inside of your body for a brief period of time before it's ready to come into the world. It is a different body. It is a different individual. It is a different human being. It is a baby, another human being. And by the way, if you're so concerned about the government not being able to tell you what to do with your body, how come you aren't marching on the Biden administration for telling you what to do with your body by putting in vaccines in it? Vaccines that now we are learning aren't as safe as you said they were, Mr. Government. I am one of these people that took that Johnson & Johnson jab, okay? And now we learn, thank you, from the FDA, hey, you know, wait a minute. Um, yeah, we've got a little bit of news for you people that took that Johnson & Johnson thing that we told you, you know, take this to avoid the COVID. Uh, some of you uh, have, uh, you know, there's some blood clots happening. Now, you know, blood clots can kill some of you. So we're sorry about that. And if you happen to be one of the ones that have a blood clot in this vital, well, then what the hell? Yeah. Oh, brief distraction from abortion. The White House is now prepping for cold weather wave of 100 million COVID infections. Ooh. Yeah, let's scare people again with that. Okay. So why, why now? Why the silence from corporations now when women's rights hang in the balance? Wendy Davis. The abortion rights activist and former Texas legislator told the author of this story in the Washington Prime Amazon Post that it's fear. 
Corporate CEOs, she said, are petrified. They'll find themselves in a similar situation as Disney finds itself in Florida right now. Well, hallelujah. Absolutely right. Thank you, Ron DeSantis. Thank you, legislators in the state of Florida. You have finally gotten through to these warp, these woke corporate types that there are consequences to always bashing Republicans and to bashing Republican voters and that parents matter and the parents that don't want their children sexualized at young ages matter. That children matter too. You're damn right it's fear. And contrary to the popular narrative that Disney won this battle, Disney has lost this battle. Their shares have plummeted. And there are people now who are looking at this saying, you know, Disney, you made a mess of this. And there are more and more voices raising up saying, you know, it's about time that businesses actually ran the business and we stop letting these woke liberals run these companies and run company policy. Stay out of the political arena, sell your goods to the public, and shut your damn mouths. And stop lecturing your customers or alienating half of your customer base. So, Wendy Davis, upset that corporations aren't coming to the liberal side, is now calling for organizers to push inside these companies to start organizing workers in the corporate large companies and so that these workers can put more pressure on their employers. Here's what she says. Women who work in these large public companies need to take a stand. And whether that looks like an employee work stoppage or a walkout, it's an important part of organizing work. Well, you know what? Go ahead. Start work, Start in this economy. Start now telling your bosses you're going to work out of your job unless they yield to your political aspirations. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Because the more you do it and the more these corporate types understand that this is all a liberal effort, I guarantee you there will be a backlash. It may not happen now, but there's going to be a backlash just like there was a backlash with Disney. So you keep pushing that envelope, ladies, Wendy Davis, and you liberal Democrat ladies. Go ahead. Push that envelope some more. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, we are coming back. I see your calls, all of you. Just be patient. We're going to get to as many of your calls. I want to get to all of them today. So don't go away. 800-848-WABC, coming back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. Rocket, rocket. If you're in the car, in the rain, just chill out and groove. BGs, bring us back on WABC. 
This is your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Biggest disco movie of all time. This ushered in the disco age officially. Uh, back when Studio 52 was still open, 54. Studio 53. Studio 54. I'm just kidding. I mean, I shouldn't. I, I got in there twice or three times. But man, New York was so cool back in the disco era. It really was. If you weren't alive, then you should actually, somebody should make a retro movie about the whole New York scene when disco was happening. There were so many clubs and there was so much. It was just like party time every weekend in New York. And there were clubs for everybody. I mean, you know, seriously, they had like, you could go to Latin clubs and just like Latin dance all night long. There were like gay clubs. You could, and even the gay clubs would welcome straight people to hang out in the gay clubs. Right? And then, yeah, like in the village, you could go into a gay club if you were straight. And nobody would like be mean to you or anything. And there were people, you just go, you just party. Then you would go to, um, you know, if you wanted to get like an R&B flavor, you could go out to Leviticus or um, I'm not going to call the name of the other club. because Some people wouldn't understand it in Queens. Right. And then there was, um, of course, Studio 54. There were so many clubs. All right, here we go. We have with us best-selling author, Christopher Rossow. Christopher, welcome. How are you? James, good to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because Rush Limbaugh loved your books. and Of course. He talked about your books so much. And when this one came out, you know, of course, I don't have the kind of influence that Rush had or because when he talked about your books, they I mean, they were number one all over the place. Amazon, whatever, almost immediately. And this is the fourth book in the series. This is Vital Deception, a Ben Porter series. So why don't you tell us a little about a bit about the premise, Christopher? So the premise is, uh, and thank you for that, and we should talk about Russia uh, if we have some time, but uh, the premise of this book, Vital Deception, picks up the story of my protagonist, uh, Ben Porter. He's my main character, you know, the, the fancy literati call the main character the protagonist. So, uh, but, but Ben is anything but fancy. He's, uh, he's this everyman guy who gets his start in the first book called False Assurances, gets his start as an FBI information management specialist. And, and I've created this character because I was looking, I love to read, and I was looking for a character that was, you know, more like me, more like you, like 
he well maybe more like me because uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak for you. But uh, but you know he's he's uh, he's he's not this the, the Jason Bourne or the Mitch Rapp and all those are great characters. But but they're sort of unattainable. They're unattainable to me. They're you know these cut guys who are marksmen. They're good with the ladies. They mix a mean drink. They're you know good with martial arts character. You know they're they're these super spies. And they're just not real. So I wanted to create a character who was real, who felt like an everyman, who had a sense of humor, who was a little bit anxious. Um, I never actually described Ben Porter. I never described what he looks like. He could literally be anybody. And yet he sort of, he, he rises to the top using his wits and his intuition, and he cracks the case. Of course he cracks the case. He's, he's the main character. He's our hero. And so what Ben Porter has done is in this series of four books, uh, he's he's sort of risen and he's matured in this, you know, spy thriller slash world uh, where where he's got these tasks that he's got to figure out. And, you know, of course, save the world or save the people around him in the process. Um, so Vital Deception takes Ben uh, on a very different journey than the previous books. Uh, it's. Uh, it takes him sort of locally, starts in Washington, D.C., basically stays in the Northeast U.S., whereas the previous book, Subversive Addiction, went overseas and into Europe and so forth, into the Caribbean and, and lots of different cool places. Um, but Vital Deception keeps Ben local, and he's got to solve a mystery, and he does it the way he always does it. He does it, you know, pretty much by himself and um, and uses his, 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 just his innate sense of, I got to find right from wrong. And I love it. Now, you and, – and so that's the book. When Where can people find Vital Deception? Vital Deception is anywhere online. So Amazon.com, of course, Barnes & Noble has it. Um, it's uh, on Apple Books in an ebook format. It's an audiobook format with some great narrators. You don't have to listen to my voice doing the narration for 10 hours as you listen to the book. Um, I've got a great cast that I that I audition for, for my books to read them. So they're on Audible, uh, Amazon, and Apple. Apple. And you can order it through a bookstore because, you know, I'm an independent author. So you're, I'm not stocked in bookstores on shelves. You've got to order it. So it's probably just better just to get it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble online and you can get an ebook or a paperback. Now, that's what I wanted to talk to you. You swerved right into it. You were with the regular publishing houses when the early books and then you decided to go independent. And I want you to talk about this because there are a lot of people out here that I've learned a little bit about the publishing industry over the past two years. And let me tell you something. <sighs> anyway, um, there are a lot of opportunities for people that do want to self-publish, that are good writers. There are good writers. There are great writers out here who can't even get read because agents are too busy or too lazy to actually read the stuff that's sent to them. Okay, and they just yep. let it linger and let it sit. And oh yeah, I'll get to that. Now you can understand that in a way. I remember when I was a record, when I was um, a music director, I would get slammed with hundreds of, of 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 you know new music pieces every week. And it's hard to go through everything, so you've got to come up with a system. And unfortunately, some people get left out, and that's what I meant by the too busy. But there are also some agents that are too lazy. They don't really want to look at anything unless it's handed to them by a friend or by what, and even then they may not look at it. So you decided, and I don't know, I don't know the reasons, and I'm not saying those are your reasons, but you decided, okay, I'm going to self-publish. What can you tell people here in our audience who think maybe I should do that? 
So I, I actually did try to get published and was rejected. I was rejected over and over again. I had a great backer by the, a guy by the name of James Patterson, who you may have heard of, a terrific writer. Oh, yeah. Uh, who who read my early manuscript, said, let's get this. This is the first book, False Assurances. Back then it was called just Ben Porter. And uh, so James Patterson read it, loved it. We proposed it to all the big New York publishers, and one by one they rejected it. This is back in 2019. So it was in 2020 when I self-published False Assurances, and I also self-published the second book called Threat Bias. At the same time, figuring, you know, this huge leap of faith could have been an epic waste of time, but I figured if I've got two self-published books instead of one, maybe I'll look more credible. <laughs> you know, kind of a big bet. Uh, it seemed to work out because uh, those are the books that Rush picked up. But anyway, so so the, the publishing gatekeepers, you know, they're looking for a, a, a known quantity. They're looking for a quick hit. They don't want to take risk. They don't want to take risk on a new voice, especially a new character like Ben Porter, who's not, you know, not the mainstream you know, super spy thriller character. So, um, so I became self-published, and and I actually love the independence because I can do stuff in my books that that would never be allowed by the publishers. I can create my own worlds. I don't have to answer to a committee of editors who then say, oh no, 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 this this is this isn't going to fly today, or no, this has got to be more balanced. I can write the stories that I feel are true to my heart and true to my what my readers look for, and I can create this direct connection with readers, which I love. I love getting reader outreach. If, if somebody emails my quote unquote publishing company, which is just an LLC that I formed to, you know, put these things in one box, you know, they get me and, um, and we have a direct conversation. I've been having email threads with, with readers and fans for years and it's, it's very raw. It feels very personal and you just don't get that in the published world. Again, because those gatekeepers, you know, they're looking for, you know, that, that hit. And if they don't have that guaranteed hit, or they don't think you're in the niche that's selling right now on whatever the, you know, the book club of the month is, you're out and uh, you don't get a chance. So this independence is, it, it feels very entrepreneurial to me. It feels very, um, you know, dare I say, sort of American to me in that, I you know, it. if we want to do something, we can do it. And, and I've got the tools to compete from my one room rented office that I sublet from somebody else. I can compete <laughs> against Simon and & Schuster and Random House. And I'm doing it. I'm doing it, man. We're, I'm competing against these big guys, and it feels pretty good. And you also have a book under option from Spyglass Media Group, which means we might see you on these, these stories on the big screen. At some point. Yeah, you know that the, the the great thing about that, Bo, was that um, was a year, almost a year to the date after I got my last rejection letter, I self-published these things. Thanks to Rush, they took off, and we should come back to that because we want to talk about Rush. But um, but a year to the date, almost a year to the day, I got a uh, my my name was in the Hollywood Reporter that Spyglass Media had optioned the series. I mean, Spyglass is a real company. They That's just right. Scream reboot. They're you know this is a real Hollywood company, and they've got the series under option. I hope they make it into a movie. Uh, you know, it's there's there's lots of there's lots of ideas out there. It's not a guarantee, but just that little bit of enthusiasm and credibility really helps. And and you know, it's a it could be. I get all these reviews and like this should be a movie. I'm like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Let's do it. So we'll see what happens. Now let's talk about Rush because you were you went to the number one author, and that is not an easy feat on Amazon, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, I owe it all to Rush. Let's just be honest. I mean, so so Rush, uh, the books came out in May of 2020. As you recall, we were in the sort of the depths of COVID back then. 
Um, I was actually encouraged not to put them out. The big publishers, you know, were pulling books off shelves, not doing launches, you know, not a good time. I figured, why not? I mean, people uh, need entertainment. They need to have a feel-good story with someone they can relate to, which was Ben. Um, so I, I took the risk because I'm independent, and, and I said, I'm going to roll the dice and make this happen. So I put the books out in May or late April, um, early May of 2020, and, and rushed talked about him on air. I remember the day, May 14th, 2020, you were there, you were in the booth. Uh, and, and he talked about him and said, I, I, I couldn't put the book down. I stayed up till one in the morning. I had to quit. I couldn't quit. Uh, and all of a sudden by that night, I was the number one author on Amazon and stayed there for a couple of days, which was, you know, attributable to rush, his generosity, his enthusiasm. I mean, what a, he, what an amazing moment and what an honor for me. Absolutely. And you know, Rush was like that. When he liked something, he went right to tell people about it and he wanted to share it with his audience, things that he liked. I remember, and he loved spy novels. It wasn't just yours. He had a thing and detective stories, all that sort of stuff. I remember he used to, in the early days of the show, he used to talk about some of the shows that he used to watch on A&E, for instance, some of the detective shows that he really liked. And then, of course, there were some other authors that have written in similar genre as yours. And he really did like, he really loved your books. And so I just felt that would be a pleasure for me to carry on the tradition of bringing your books to people that were some of our fans were with us back in the rush days. And so wanted to let them know that you had another book out. Well, I'd be, I'd be thrilled that the Boy Scouts went out and all bought the book and, 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 <laughs> and shot me back up the list again. But also, you know, it's not just about that. It's about, you know, spreading the name and, and the idea that these, this everyman hero can really achieve great things. And I think that's a message that, that I like to send. I think it's a message that in this sort of fractured world that we seem to live in. I mean, J- James Patterson on the latest book calls this the perfect thriller for the crazy world we live in. And it is crazy. And this is kind of an escape. It's great to feel good with a character, and um, and I hope that people appreciate that. That's the intent. It's it's like let's feel good about ourselves. Let's have this imaginary world where where the good guy does win, and the good guy wins not because he's better equipped or better, smarter or prettier or whatever than anybody else. They win because of their heart and their soul, their moral compass. You know all that good stuff that makes good human beings. So that's the message I'm trying to send with these books, and we'll see what happens. Christopher Rosso, thank you for being with us. The book is Vital Deception. You can find it wherever you buy books. Thanks so much, Christopher. Appreciate it. James Thank Golden. You, James. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. ABC, WABC Talk Radio 77, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues right after this. Talk Radio 77, WABC. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Michael McDonald. Formerly Doobie Brothers. Brilliant solo career. Amazing backing vocalist for some of the biggest artists in the world. Amazing songwriter.
Well, let's go back to the telephones here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza with Fred in New Jersey. Hi, Fred. Welcome. How are you? Oh, Bo, I can't believe it. I'm almost crying. It sounds like I'm on with Rush. I'm, and I'm not a very good Christian, Bo, but I'm going to a First Communion today. And this little, sweet little angel, her name is sweet, and she's a beautiful little angel. Thank God that they allowed her to live. She's got wonderful mother and father. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so wonderful to hear a guy like you talking about life, talking about life. You understand? Thank and, you, Fred. And, what is your sweet little I, angel's name? What is her name? If it's her first name. Madison. 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 Happy Communion Thank Day, Madison, from all of us. Thank you very much for saying that. And keep it going, Bo. Please, we need you. Thank we you, Fred. You. And let me and just refer to something, Fred. Um, you know, <clears throat> without going too much into proselytizing, which I try not to do, you open the call by saying that you're not a good Christian. Well, guess what? We are all flawed human beings, and that is why we have Savior, okay? Because all of us are flawed, and all of us need help. We are all in the same boat. We are all in desperate need of help, no matter how good we think we are at some moments. We all are striving to be better people. And thank you for the call. Let's go to Eddie in Staten Island. Hi, Eddie. Welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. Uh, good morning, James. I tell you, ever since um, I spoke to you a while ago concerning what happened to me as a child, uh, I mean, it just gave me a big sigh of relief. And the oh, reason man. why I'm calling now is because we have an opportunity now to stand up. And, look, I'm a frontline manager in a food business here in Manhattan. And I'm telling you, the concerns that I hear from my customers, the fear of what's coming up in this election, A, it, and I tell them, it all starts with the primaries. I know that the redistricting has been reordered, was, has been reordered by a judge, um, said for August or something. Once that's done, we have to start electing people who have our interest at heart. I can't even tell you the fear that my customers have, and I see thousands of them per week, of the violence, of the the anger, of the nonsense that's going on. A mayor that, um, a person who gets elected mayor who makes promises and doesn't fulfill them. Well, everybody is so fed up. We need common sense po- politicians, as your boss often discusses, uh, Mr. Kazemi. It is important that once the lines are drawn, the gerrymandering is done, and we get out and start voting for Republicans. And as a Hispanic, I would tell the, the Spanish community, Republicano, go out there and vote Republican. Do not be afraid. We are conservative by nature as Hispanics, and we should be voting for people who have our interest at heart. Bo, I cannot even tell you the, the, over 45 years the amount of things I've seen. And a lot of it is our fault for permitting people and not vetting them to do what we need them to do. I mean, though, I appreciate you, man. I love you. You're getting the information out there, and more and more of our people need to become decent people again. When unemployment was low under Trump, you didn't see the violence. You didn't see the nonsense. People had a sense of responsibility. And where is it now? I see nothing but fear. I see trepidation. And I see, I, I see that there's just a boiling point coming, and we have to confront the violence 
that seems to be developing um, from Antifa and BLM. We have to be ready for it and not permit them to dissuade us when we have to do in voting. Thank you. Thanks for your time. I love you too, Eddie. Thank you so much for calling us. We do appreciate it. You are always welcome, and we always love hearing what you have to say. Makes us think, Eddie. Thank you. And let me just let me just actually leap on something that he said. He talked about the the personal responsibility component of this. I spoke about this yesterday. I'm gonna, I want to go back to that for a minute because this entire this this fear and trepidation over Roe v. Wade. This is the symptom. This isn't the problem. I mean, the left keeps talking about. I mean, look at the the headlines. The editorial board of the of the New York Times: America is not ready for the end of Roe v. Wade. Okay, so let's translate that to what it really means. America's not ready to stop killing children. That's what it really means. We're not ready to stop killing children. We're not ready to stop killing children that have been conceived already. Yes, we are. Because we should have never gone down this path in the first place. And I'm not saying that there should never be any abortions. I'm not saying that at all. Of course, if a mother's life is in danger, you have to do what you have to do. Of course, you know, I'm not going to even speak to this whole rape and incest thing because I don't feel I'm qualified to speak to it. I can't imagine what women go through when they're the victims of criminal behavior like that. I, I can't even imagine it. It's got on, 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 on top of the violation and anybody that's felt violated. I mean, if you, if you get robbed and your house gets robbed and someone comes in your house and steals things that belongs to you and some of them that have sentimental value and trash your house, it's not even so much the things, it's the, the idea that somebody has been in your house or your apartment and they've polluted your space with their ugly energy. Freaks people out. Not to mention what happens to women when their bodies are violated by these evil human beings. So I don't even want to speak to that because I have no right to speak to that. Okay, but when it comes to innocent life, we can talk about it. Because what happens in the case of the innocent life? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being realistic. When two adults or an adult and teenagers, as many of us started as teenagers, let's just be frank, some of us started as teenagers. I started as a teenager, okay, having sexual relations because, number one, you get the peer pressure or all your – the peer pressure for me started in sixth grade. We had guys running around the schoolyard – talking about what they had done to this one or that one. And I remember in sixth grade, the first time I was asked, have I, you know, done blah, blah. It's like, you don't want to say no, because then you become the class lame and everybody laughs at you. And like you, but, but so most kids that age lie or used to anyway, used to lie about it. Cause if you're a boy, cause you didn't want to be considered a punk. All right, and the whole culture was different then. The whole culture was to get in bed with as many women as you can. You know, this was the James Bond era. This was the Mad Men 
era where you're supposed to prove you're virile and hip and cool if you have multiple women. And I grew up through all of that. I grew up with a very famous relative who was a playboy and who I, I admired him. So I loved him so much. He was my mentor. And so, you know, I do love him to this day, you know. Um, and it took me a long time when I was adult to finally, like, wait a minute, what am I doing? I know better than this. So I'm not coming at this like Mr. Innocent, Mr., you know, hand wagging in your face telling you what. I'm just saying when you really stop to think about this stuff, consenting adults have sex, right, or consenting teenagers, and then somebody gets pregnant. Well, not somebody. She does. Because despite what the left would like you to believe, there is all this talk about pregnant people now, men cannot get pregnant. Women get pregnant, not men. And it's time to stop all these lies about what biology is. And stop trying to force people to believe this crap. Women get pregnant in our society, in the world. And guess what? It's been that way since God, God created men and women. And then God has created these babies that men and women actually get together to make. But it's not their creation. It's still God's creation. We could not make life if we wanted to. We can manipulate life. You see science doing that all the time. But we human beings cannot make life from zero, from nothing. That power has never belonged to us and will never belong to mankind. Now, two adults have sex. Woman gets pregnant. These days, right, if a woman doesn't want to stay pregnant, she could take a pill the day after pill, done deal, over with. And by the way, you think that that's happening now? Just wait till after Roe v. Wade is overturned. In some places, okay? That's going to be a political battle that we're going to be dealing with if we can get past these liberals screeching and moaning about this. But what is at the bottom of all of this? The, what is at the bottom of all of this is irresponsibility. I did the sex act, and now I don't want to take responsibility for the outcome of it. There's this woman pregnant. I did it. And she either she doesn't want it or I don't want it. We only wanted the sex. We only wanted the good time. We only wanted the orgasm. And after the orgasm, okay, thanks, bye. Okay? And if it's not thanks, bye, it's okay, I'll be back next booty call. But when someone shows up pregnant, it's, oh, what? Well, did you use contraception? Huh? Did you use your contraception? Oh, you didn't. And you're surprised that someone's pregnant? And if you use contraceptive and it broke or it didn't work, you lost life's lottery, baby. Now you got to deal with the consequences. You know that that's a consequence or a possibility before you even entered the, the setup, the equation, right? You did this. The two of you did this. And you knew you were doing it. It wasn't a surprise. You did it. And now you want the easy way out. <laughs> 
Well, hell, I don't want to be pregnant. Let's kill it. Well, okay. But you're devaluing life in the process. And again, I'm not trying to attack women. I'm not trying to attack people. But let's be honest. Let's stop lying about what this is about. It's about we do things and we don't want to pay the price for it. And so now this is a big political issue because people want to look for some people, not all. They don't want anybody getting in the way of them being promiscuous. Okay, I want to sleep with whoever the hell I want to sleep with as much as I want to sleep with them. This, that, the other one, this one, too. And this one's daddy's mother's uncle's brother's babysitter, too. I want to sleep with all of them. And if I get pregnant and don't know who did it, well, no problem. I can get rid of it. We, we have a name for that, by the way. And men do the same thing. We slut ourselves out. And then when somebody gets pregnant, all of a sudden it's like, oh, jeez, you screwed it up. No, you're the one that did this. You screwed it up. But you don't want to pay the price for it. So now we have to go get doctors and, we, and, and so-called health care. There is nothing health care about killing a baby. There is nothing called a reproductive right that is about killing a baby. It is a convenience. It is not a right. And nowhere in our Constitution does it say you have the right to kill babies. Now, it's not a baby until X number of weeks. Prove it. The burden of proof is not on us. If life doesn't begin at conception, then you prove where life does begin. And until then, we know where it started. It started when your sperm met the egg. That's what started this whole thing off, okay? That's basic biology, basic science. And if it's not so, then you prove where life begins. The, the, the onus is not on us, those of us that believe in life. But Democrats and liberals, you are the culture of death. That's who you are. You're the culture of death and you're the culture of irresponsibility. And that's what you don't want changed. You want to continue to inflict that on society and on the world. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back after this. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, with you here. Rocking and rolling this morning. That's right. Hmm. Say what? Play 
How long has it been since you heard that, baby? <laughs> yeah. WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's go to Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike, thank you for waiting. How you doing, James? I'm doing well. You know, what I get a big kick out is how the, the, the left, the people that want abortions, they say that people won't take care of these babies. They're unwanted babies. Well, they prove that no one wants to take care of them because they want to kill it. So they don't want to take care of the baby. Mm. You know, it, it's, and, and when you were thinking about talking about an innocent life, innocent life, remember one thing, James, even in rape, that baby didn't ask to be raped. I know that. I know that. So, but let me say something to you about that. I've had people that are close to me that have been raped. Okay. Including one of my, I don't want to get into too much detail. And let me tell you something. Men, we don't get this. When you really spend time with a woman that has been raped, I'm just, I, I, I get a little emotionally torn up about it even now because they will never get over it. I don't care how well they can cover over it. They never get over it. And so there's some things that I'm not going to speak to. That is an experience between them and their God, what decision they make on that, because that's something that men will never have to experience. That being, well, they do. Men get raped, but we don't have to bear. In fact, there's a story today about how the Russian, not today, earlier this week, about how Russian troops are raping men as well as women in, um, in Ukraine. But the thing with men is we don't get pregnant if we get raped. They do. So they can. So I hear what you're saying. You're right. The life there is innocent, too, and I understand that. But there are certain things I just don't feel I should just talk about with that. I'm not going to tell some woman that's going through that experience what she needs to do. That's something that she's going to have to decide for herself and with God. But I love you, man. I appreciate your call so much. Thank you. Mark, Staten Island, WABC, Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Good morning, Jimbo. I want to uh, make a comment about Mayor Adams and his so-called uniformed plainclothes unit. Mm-hmm. Well, if he, wants to, he, if he wants to call plainclothes uniform plainclothes, let's call plainclothes uniforms. <laughs> so cops don't, don't even have to put the uniform on, just come in his street clothes. You know, and uh, for a nightstick, have uh, a little, uh, you know, expandable batons, put them in their pockets, carry a concealed carry holster and say, this is my uniform. Hmm. (laughs) Very clever. Go ahead. You were saying something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This crime problem, it's also baseball season. So I feel like taking some batting practice in the subway. (laughs) If you bring a bat into the subway... (laughs) <laughs> be arrested, right? Thank you. <laughs> oh, question, a musical question before yes. I go. Yes. Do you know Caleb Quay? No. Who's Caleb Quay? Caleb Quay was Elton John's first producer and guitarist. Really? He's a magnificent guitar player. Nice. American. He uh, he's one of the greatest guitar players ever to to come up down the pike. How, I recommend you, his book. How did you How did you come? Was it just you were a fan, and that's how you discovered him? Yeah, I'm an Elton John fan, and um, he uh, he was instrumental in getting Dick James to listen to Elton John 
and Bernie's first songs. Oh. And he he's just a fantastic... Oh, get his book, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll. He had an epiphany. He became a born-again Christian. A Voice Louder Than and Rock and Roll. Yeah, he's just an amazing guy. I think you'll love him very much, uh, as much as I do. Oh, man, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thanks for that. A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll. I'm going to look for it. Thank you. Uh, Steve, Central New Jersey, you're on with A.K.A. Sternley. What's going on this morning, Steve? Mr. Bo James, good to talk to you again. Yes, it's been a while. How are you? I'm good, sir. And you? You? Good. Very well. You sound good. You sound good. Very good. Straight to the point, three things that you touched on. Number one, I, I um, we have to shatter conservative orthodoxy, Mr. Bo James, that says boycotts don't work. Oh, hell yeah, they do. All right? And if we're going to get corporate America back to business as much as possible, we have to start, stop buying the goods and services that these corporations that are capitulating to the woke, cancel culture, PC crap are giving into. I know it's not easy, but they do work. Boycotts work every time they're tried. Point number one. All right. Point number two. Now, I haven't read the draft opinion on on the abortion case, but it will stand for that this this will be the rule of law. The The federal government cannot make law on abortion because it's not a right grant. It's not mentioned in the Constitution. Therefore, this effort that you hear by the, the Dems to say we will codify Roe versus Wade, uh, Roe versus Wade, pass the statute, that would immediately be struck down under what you hear the left saying, stare decisis, judicial precedent. I happen to be a lawyer. Don't hold that against me. That, that immediately, that would be take challenged in court any federal statute. And this new decision, if it were to be issued, could be used as judicial precedent to st- strike down any federal statute codifying Roe versus Wade. That's what stare decisis and judicial precedent are all about. Number three, the city, I, I agree with you. There's a golden opportunity in the big cities for a conservative Republican or a liberal Democrat, a common sense Democrat to get elected here. But here's the problem. And I'll just point to New York. I've talked to at least 100 New Yorkers over the last year, the 80 percent, by the way, that didn't show up and vote record number of uh, for for lack of voter turnout there. They they really see this type of government, whether it's run by Bill de Blasio or Eric Adams, as not the problem, but the solution to the problem. They, 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 for, uh, let me cut right to it. They believe this type of government gives them, subsidizes their lifestyle somehow, protects them from who they believe is the real enemy, the police, and allows them to walk around the streets stoned. Now, until, and by the way, this that 80%, it cuts across all racial lines, genders, ethnicities, I'm not drawing any, I'm not not painting with any broad strokes until a conservative Republican or a common sense Democrat can get through to that 80 percent that that type of government is really taking advantage of them, using them, doesn't care about them. It's going to be hard to get some sanity back in the big cities. Mr. Bo James, I welcome your comments or questions as anything I just said. You go, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Steve. Good to hear from you. Listen, um, I still maintain that we have an opportunity in New York. Because we do. All you got to do is look at the empty buildings, empty space here. All you have to do is look at the lack of business activity. And all you have to do is look at the crime, and people are fed up with it. Now, there has to be someone who can articulate what this city is experiencing in a way that would attract people of every party because we're all suffering from this common experience. 
Trump did that on the national level. That's why he got elected. These out-of-touch elitists, they had no clue. They all thought he was a buffoon. They laughed at him. But he understood what the common people in America were experiencing, and he articulated it. And then when he became president, he acted on it. And these, these elitists, Democrats and Republicans, spent his entire presidency stabbing him politically in the back. Not going to be easy, but that's what we really need. We need a Trump in New York, a Donald Trump-style politician, meaning someone that understands the common experiences and are willing to take the arrows that it takes in order to make change happen. And they're going to be fought with by people who want the status quo every step of the way, but that's what has to happen. And it can happen. Hour number three already coming up. Boy, Saturday morning is flying by. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. The third hour of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza, minutes away. Don't you go away. More of your calls included in the mix and more good music. So don't go anywhere. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Hour number three is upon us on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Welcome if you'd like to be part of the program. You still have an hour left. 800-848-9222. You can reach us, 800-848-WABC. Princess Di joins us this hour. You're going to want to stay around for that. Listen, the White House, your White House, I mentioned the headline, is now preparing for cold weather wave of 100 million, they say, COVID infections. 100 million. They're preparing for as many as 100 million Americans to get infected with COVID-19 this fall or this winter coming if Congress does not provide what? Mo money. What is the answer to everything in Washington? Mo money. New funding, more money. So unless you give this administration more money to spend, then we're going to get COVID, 100 million new cases. They argue, of course, that this more money that they want will allow many more Americans to get updated vaccinations. And they're saying at the same time, hey, don't panic. We're only saying there's going to be 100 million new cases if we don't get more money so that we can spend more money on vaccinations. But they're saying, don't worry, don't panic. We have a new Pfizer pill out there. We have vaccinations out there. But we need more money, more money, more money. Okay. What we need, instead of more money, how about this, guys, in Washington, D.C.? How about this, Mr. Biden? How about this, Dr. Fauci? How about all of this? How about we need the truth? How's that? How about we actually tell the truth about the origins of COVID? Where did it come from? 
Was it a biological weapon? Was it a mistake that went out of the Wuhan lab out of control? By the way, did we or didn't we help support the Wuhan lab? Were we experimenting with animal viruses and how we could change them genetically? Why is a marker, I read this in the Daily Mail and it has not been denied, why is there a marker for Moderna that was found in this, in, in COVID, that could have only been placed there many years before? A, a marker on a certain genetic material in, in, inside the disease. And again, that was a Daily Mail story. I'll pull it out if I have to. Where did it come from? Why? And why does it go into these mutations? And why does it do what it does to the body? How about that? And then why don't you tell the truth about these vaccinations? Because you told me, and the reason I took the Johnson & Johnson was, hey, y'all said it was all right. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, go get that Johnson & Johnson thing. Now y'all saying, you know, ooh, by the way, if you took that Johnson Johnson thing we told you was safe, might have a few blood clots. Better get yourself, you know, make sure you don't have blood clots because, you know, those blood clots, they might kill you. Really? You told me it was safe. You penalize people for not having vaccinations. What else do we need to know about vaccinations? What else do we need? There have been no long-term studies simply because there has been no long-term yet. So what can you really tell us are the long-term effects of these? Huh? Why not tell the truth about the medications? When I had COVID and almost died, the thing that pulled me out of it was hydroxychloroquine. (gasps) Oops. But you told me hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. You told me that's like some quacky stuff. But I know it worked because it worked for me. And I know what I was experiencing. And I know that I almost slipped out of here, out of this earthly life on two occasions when I had COVID. And I know when they gave me the ivermectin, I got nauseous. And so my doctor said, no, we're going to take you off the ivermectin. And even though usually hydroxychloroquine would be used earlier in the protocol, we're going to try this. And, And within hours after it was tried on me, I finally snapped out of, started snapping out of it. But you told me it doesn't work. But I'm here because it worked. So when are you going to tell the truth? But see, hydroxychloroquine comes from a medicine that only costs about 19 cents a pill to disperse. So there wouldn't be all this money like from the Moderna vaccine or from all of these other vaccines. What does money have to do with this disease? And by the way, who's making this money? What companies? have really scored during this whole COVID thing. How about a little truth about that? How about if we could trust the science again? How about if we could trust the idea that you say we need to mask up, but then all of a sudden we're finding, and this again can be sourced, that right now in some people they're finding plastic in their lungs, microplastic from the mask because they wore masks so much. And is that healthy? By the way, having... Microplastic in your lung? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But if all these medicines that you say don't work and then people say they did work for me and they saved me, then why are y'all lying? 
Why can't doctors who are esteemed in their careers, <clears throat> who have had no evidence of being kooks, nuts, whack jobs, looney tunes, or off the reservation in any part of their career, who have been nothing but respected, how come their research is shut down if it disagrees with the narrative that this administration is putting out? Why is that? And why were they thrown off Twitter and all these social media outfits by people who don't have any knowledge whatsoever in these fields, who have spent no time doing medical research, who are sitting around, whether they're in their pajamas or not at home, deciding, oh, no, no, this doctor's not valid, this doctor is valid. They have no credibility, to de- no knowledge, base of knowledge, to make those decisions. Why was that allowed, and why is it still allowed? Why is it that the frontline doctors in America, and they call themselves the frontline doctors, because they went and deal with people directly. I had a frontline doctor. My frontline doctor saved my life. Why is it that frontline blind, while establishment doctors who simply go along with the go along with it, do? Let me tell you a story about one brief story from my my frontline doctor. She had a patient that went into the hospital, and she was able to intercede somehow and get the patient the medication that this patient needed. It's on the doesn't-work list. And this guy survived, and as he was being wheeled out of that hospital, he asked the nurses, wow, how many other people have survived using how, how?" and the nurses told him, this is true story. You're the only one that's come in here in this condition that's ever gotten out. Okay, why why are all those people dead in nursing homes? Why not tell the truth about that? And what are the real numbers? Why not tell the truth about that? You people always asking for more money. Why don't you do something first? Why don't you start telling the truth first? And then put your hand out for more money. Because you people in our government have been lying. You've been lying to American citizens. You have been lying out your both sides of your mouth and your split tongue. Unrelated, perhaps. I don't know. I am not a doctor. I make no claims. Five children have now died from an unexplained hepatitis. In the United States, 109 cases have been spotted across 25 states. This is another infectious disease, apparently. The CDC is still investigating what's behind the cases. These are mostly two-year-olds. More than 90% were hospitalized. 14% also needed a liver transplant. Whatever this is, is serious. There are 300 of these cases so far around the world. This has just sprung up. Just saying, I hope we don't get lies about this. I hope we understand what this is. <sighs> I just saw the, 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 the uh, we talked about it yesterday, so I'm not going to talk about it again today. The Johnson & Johnson story that was in Daily Mail about how the FDA has limited 
limited the use of the J&J now because it causes blood clots. Wish I'd have known that before I got mine. Baby formula. Shortage. There's panic among parents across many parts of the United States because they can't find baby formula. Not on the shelves. They are pleading for media coverage and political action. They're posting pictures across many places in this country of empty store shelves. People cannot find baby formula. Baby formula. This is Joe Biden's America. This is Joe Biden's economy. Parents can't even find baby formula on the shelves. When we get back, the one and the only. And we are coming right back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. She is here. And boy, oh boy, are we so happy about it. You know, you know, Princess Di, one of your subjects is quite unhappy with you. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, and I, I need you to clear this up because she has a question for you. And, and the question came not just from me, but it was in the Amazon Prime Washington Post. She wants to know, why do you have such a lack of compassion? Why are you so mean-spirited when it comes to student debt? How come you don't care about our student debt? You're supposed to be the queen of the people. Why don't you care? Why have you no compassion, woman? Have you no shame? <laughs> how dare I? <laughs> yeah, how dare you is right. Well, this is not directed to me, despite the way you framed it. This is directed to all of us who are saying, wait a minute, at the president's and the Democrat Party's desire to get rid of by erasing student debt, loans that people signed on the bottom line and took out loans to, to purchase a service, which may not be worth much, but that's not our fault. And that is a college education. And now they are basically pleading that why should they have to pay it back? And so this um, columnist, Christine Emba, she's also a Washington Post editor, uh, is asking that question of us who are believers in paying one's own debt, why do we have such a lack of compassion for people who don't want to pay back their loans? (laughs) The thing that's interesting to me about this column and all of the rhetoric surrounding this issue is the religious language they use. In fact, the term student loan forgiveness. I mean, they, they import all of the terms and the thinking of Christianity or Judeo-Christian belief that they hate, but yet they want to have the assets of those religious beliefs, forgiveness. And she says, Americans have displayed a growing or the needs of their fellow citizens. And she frames it as such a religious act, which is basically to be charitable and to give and to allow these people who don't want to pay back their debts to to do so by taking on their debts ourselves. And so the thinking is so amazing that it is so poorly reasoned that they have to borrow our terminology on the believer side. The the rest of that quote, I mean, this quote blew my mind. You, You started that quote. Americans have displayed a growing unwillingness 
to consider the needs of their fellow citizens, either to slightly inconvenience themselves for another's sake, or simply let good things happen for others without demanding something for themselves. So, yeah. Can you imagine applying that sentence to the abortion question? And that is the thing. You basically asked me to talk about two different subjects. One, this, this article on, on student debt and also an abortion quote, which we'll get to, I hope. Yeah, we will. And just opposing those two articles together, it is just a remarkable display of how they use this language for one question where they're demanding money from taxpayers and law-abiding citizens. And then on the other hand, their lack of compassion for the child growing in the womb. And they never apply that same rhetoric that they use on their demand side to the value of life. Now, let's move to that other article, which is an article from 2008. Stop these abortions. And this talks about uh, our former president. This is one one article where he talks about the former president, uh, uh, the ability of Obama to thread the needle between their own support of abortion rights and their constituents' opposition can be determinative. And uh, blah, 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 how deftly Obama handled the question on a, on a, th- this blew my mind. Why don't you pick it up from here? Yes, it was listening to your wonderful show yesterday, which is, you know, a must listen every day at four o'clock, the rush hour. You were talking about the irresponsibility at the bottom of the question and that abortion separates sex from consequences. And it reminded me of this Obama quote from um, 2008. And let me read you the quote. Look, I got two daughters, nine years old and six years old. I'm going to teach them first about values and morals. But if they make a mistake, I don't want them punished with a baby. And that quote grew a a firestorm at the time. But that reflects the, the leftist thinking about pregnancy. And I went back and I looked at all of the articles on the left talking about pregnancy and the fetus, which is what they use, as a parasite or an alien. And that was the language that I saw on social media from the left when they were so outraged that the Roe v. Wade may be reversed. Their anger and bitterness and fury and how they spat, you know, at the idea of carrying a child. And, and that was so shocking to me that, I, you know, I had forgotten that this language has been part of their repertoire for many, many years. I have to mention a 1984 book, Abortion Practice, by abortionist Warren Hearn, who is at 83 still practicing in Boulder, Colorado, he will do a third trimester abortions. But in 1984, he said the relationship between the female and the fetus can be understood best as one of host and parasite. And that is the view of the left. They all agree that humans are parasite on Mother Earth because they believe in in overpopulation. And so they also believe that each child well, they won't say child, but each fetus is an alien and that the the host has a right, quote unquote, to evict said alien. So 
So we are dealing with a mindset that is truly evil because it dehumanizes humans and also because it is 100% self-oriented. It is Motherhood is known for selflessness and sacrifice, but this abortionist view is known for self-serving and, as you say, don't want to inconvenience yourself. Well, here's what I also think. Um, I think that we I, we have the articles that I referred to earlier from the New York Times. The country isn't ready for the end of Roe v. Wade. Why not? We we weren't ready for the beginning of it, yet you, you guys on the left thrust it upon the country anyway. And so what do you think, what what happens when this, if this? See, here, let me tell you what I think first. And just Here's what I think. I think these people blew it again. I think they blew it by leaking out this decision because when the decision actually comes, it's going to be anticlimactic. You know, yeah, we knew. We knew that back in April. Tell us something we don't know. We knew that in early May that this was when Roe v. Wade was going away. So all this theater that they're having now, all these protests, all this yammering and yapping and nipping at the heels and frothing at the mouth, they're doing it already now. What are they going to do, round two? When the decision comes out in June or July, okay. But by November, certainly, this is not news anymore. This has happened. And guess what? Women will still be getting abortions in America. They'll be getting abortions by pills. They'll be going to states that say, like New York and California, please come here and have your abortion because we want as many dead babies as possible in our state. And so women will still be getting abortions. And this will not be the issue in November that Democrats think it will. Okay, you. Yes, you are absolutely right. I think they've blown it because their thinking is frozen back in the 70s when Roe v. Wade was decided. And they are unaware that the country, due in large part to the quiet and sometimes vocal work of the pro-life community, that the country is not where it was when this was decided. This has been persuasion on the part of the pro-life movement over many decades. And so, you know, the the Virginia race was also, they tried on the left uh, by Terry, what is his last name? The Democrat uh, McAuliffe. McAuliffe. He tried to make this a voting issue, and it wasn't. The, the country is, you know, really one third of the population is vocal pro-abort. And, you know, that is the voices that they still talk to each other. They're not aware that they've lost the vast majority of people who do want some restrictions on abortion. So I think they blew it in that they froze in their mind where the debate was in the 70s. And they don't understand that the ground shifted beneath them in some part because of technology and sonograms and that people see the child, you know, in the womb. This used to be invisible to people. They would see the outside of a growing belly, but they didn't see what was going on inside. Only people of faith did, saw that with spiritual eyes. But now people are well aware of the actual human being in there. And I think that the left has misjudged where the country is yet again, and this outcome is not going to be what they expect, which is a good thing. Wow, and I hope that that comes to pass. Thank you, Princess Di, as always.
What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Now, you have some family obligations next week, and so we won't be having you next week unless we do it very early in the week. So we'll try to get you very early in the week. But I just don't want anybody to get alarmed next week when they say, where's my princess? Where's my princess? She's out taking student loans from people. That's where she is. Give me that damn loan. Now, go pay your bills. Go pay your bills or go to debtor's prison. Oh, thank you. Go to the tower. Go to the tower. (laughs) It's always wonderful talking to you. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you Princess Di. We'll see you later. (laughs) James Golden, a.k.a. Sterling, back after this. Welcome to the Golden Age of Radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. Remember when this one came out? I do. James Golden with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. The wonderful voice of Sade brings us back. Smooth operator. Boy, when I heard this, I said, you know, this guy has us. Playing. Absolutely. Loved in seven languages. Imagine that. High in the sky, baby. Heaven help him. Baby, that's Sade bringing it back. Smooth operator on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let us go to the telephones and go to Denver, North Carolina. Wayne, how are you? Thank you for waiting. Good morning, Mr. Golden. Uh, thank you for taking my phone call. And thanks to Mr. Katsimatidis for putting together one heck of a radio station. Well, thank you. Just about all I listen to. I shall make this brief. Uh, people like to drag up history. I would like to get people to remember the glowing, glowing oratory that uh, our uh, President uh, Biden gave Robert Byrd, who was high up in the KKK in West Virginia, uh, proving that he is a uh, bigot. And also the, uh, telling Mr. Obama that uh, uh, he was well-spoken, and yes, well, let us remember the quote. Thank you so much, Wayne, for remembering that. Let us remember the quote that Joe Biden said about Obama. Oh, he's clean and articulate. Like, by the time we got one of them what was clean and articulate, why, that's Obama. Yeah, he said it. Remember the statement that he made about the Indians that owned, like you had to be like an Indian to own 7-Elevens. Remember that. And, of course, speaking at Robert Byrd's funeral. Robert Byrd, as you point out, Wayne, was a cyclop, which is one of the high, high, highest posts in the Ku Klux Klan. Democrat, by the way, majority leader and Democrat minority leader, Robert Byrd from West Virginia. Now, 
I must say this about Robert Byrd, but I have to be honest. It's going to be difficult for some of my conservative friends to take. I like Robert Byrd. I liked Robert Byrd. I know his past, but I still liked him. I liked Robert Byrd because I used to watch the Senate all the time. I used to be glued to C-SPAN 2. And, I mean, when they started roll call, I could go down roll call with my eyes closed back in those days of all 100 members of the Senate. Because I, I used to watch the Senate like some people watch Fox News. I would watch the Senate. It would be on background. No matter, I'd have two or three TVs on sometimes. One of the TVs always had the Senate on when they were in session. And Robert Byrd was one of the unique orators in American history. He would cite back to his love of the Roman Senate and the traditions in the Roman Senate and bring that into his discussions of the current day affairs. He would also talk about his family and his love of West Virginia in ways that I have never heard another politician talk about how he loved his state. And it was poetic listening to him. Robert Byrd also wrote The History of the Senate. It's a two-volume set that is huge. So, yeah, he was a former Klansman, and he later said that he, by the way, okay, alert, alert, alert. I'm going to say the N-word because I have to, to, to quote Robert Byrd accurately. I'm, I'm going to say something that Robert Byrd said. This is not James Golden. This is not Bo Snurley. This is, these were the words of Democrat Robert Byrd. Robert Byrd went on Fox News, and and then he said, you know, he was sorry for his past, and then he started talking about white niggers. And I was looking like, did he just say white nigger? And yeah, he said white nigger. And you know what? Nothing happened. Nobody cared. It was like, seriously? Nobody's jumping up and down? No. Just like they didn't jump up and down when Jesse Jackson said, when when Jesse Jackson called Obama the N-word and said he wished he could cut his testes off. He didn't say testes. I mean, he was on, that got caught on an open mic on Fox again. You know, so there have been lots of things that the liberals would usually want, but he did. But 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 Joe Biden did say, Joe Biden did say that Obama was one of them clean, articulate ones. And that was and then Harry Reid, Harry Reid, the Democrat Senate majority leader back then said of Senator Obama, he knows how to speak that Negro dialect really well. I'm telling you, these people are racist through and through. And, the, and the, the mainstream press never reports on this stuff. Okay, there's a joke that Robert that, that Joe Kennedy told that has been scrubbed from the Internet. I have been looking for it for years. Joe Kennedy addressed, a. this is like the offspring Kennedy, 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 like the grandson of Joe Kennedy, uh, the one of, the, I guess he'd be the nephew of John Kennedy. He was somewhere in front of black people and told some racist-ass joke, and they reacted like they looked at him like, are you mad? I've been looking for that joke that he told for you. This happened in the 1980s, and I've been looking for that joke on the Internet for 
years. It is totally scrubbed. They managed to scrub it out of the you, I can if anybody knows where it is, I please send it to me. Because I've been searching for years to find this joke. It was just like when Ross Perot showed up at the NAACP and started calling them, now nah, you people, now nah, you people. And they got all bent out of shape. Yeah, so a lot of funny stuff happens with with Democrats especially. And uh <clears throat> When they are themselves. Let us go to Anthony in Astoria, Queens. Hello, Anthony. Thank you very much for waiting. Oh, Mr. James Golden. Appreciate it. Listen, an interviewer from Downbeat Magazine once was interviewing Miles Davis. And the interviewer happened to say in passing, it's remarkable how so many of your former sidemen have gone on to successful solo careers. And Miles just said, Everybody who plays for me is good. Now, it's it's unbelievable. If you read the list of all the people who were under Miles' tutelage, hello? Can you yeah, hear I'm me? here. I'm listening to every word. Uh, John Coltrane, Wayne Shorter, Joe Zawinol, Chick Corea, Billy Cobham, John McLaughlin, Erto, and many others. Marcus question, Miller. Omar Hakeem were part of the whole Miles set. There were hundreds of musicians that had played with Miles, and you said the quote, all of them are good. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I read it in the magazine, and I still got the, the subtlety of the nuance of his mentality. Now, my question is, why isn't Miles Davis in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or anybody? Maybe he is, but I doubt it. Well, because you know? rock and roll doesn't really cover jazz as well, and I'm glad he's not. I think that there needs to be a jazz hall of fame, to be honest with you. Um, jazz is America's original art form, as is rock and roll, by the way, as is country. I mean, this, 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 this country has just produced music for the entire world, and that's one of the things that we've done. We've created great mu- musicians, and we have a wonderful musical legacy here, and I think there actually does need to be a jazz hall of fame. And starting with the likes of Louis Armstrong and, of course, Scott Joplin, others who are the who are the founding members of jazz in this country. And then go all the way up through, go up all the way through traditional jazz. That's the Basie, the, the Ellington era, Glenn Miller era, the era of the big bands. A lot of that was jazz music that they were playing, considered jazz. Then take us through bebop. Okay, and that's when you start getting Miles Davis. That's when you get Charlie Parker. That's when you get Coltrane coming out of Coltrane was coming out of bebop into something else. That was by the end of his career. Then you really start getting to avant garde. Right. But you get so many, so many that came out of that era with bebop and they're endless. I mean, Dizzy Gillespie was there, but Dizzy also branched off into Afro-Cuban music. And then you have you have. The current, the, the people you talked about, some of them, Zawanu, right, Wayne Shorter, they, Billy Cobham, in the 70s, they took it somewhere else. That's what we started calling fusion. Chick Corea, Corea, Return to Forever, Stanley Clark. That was the band for me that defined fusion jazz. Chick Corea, Al Jamiola, Lenny White, and Stanley Clark. The four of them to me, sounded like a freaking orchestra when it was returned to forever. And then Mahavishnu Orchestra. Okay, you can't get any better musicians 
the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Okay, they were, they're all on that category, though. Like you said, everybody's good. They're all superstars. Herbie Hancock. But then you look at the guys like Quincy Jones, who Quincy Jones has been there through every step of these eras, almost. He understood big band, produced. He was there, Sinatra, okay? If you go back and listen to that Frank Sinatra album, Frank Sinatra at the Sands, which is one of the famous live albums, um, Count Basie's band was doing it, but those arrangements were from Quincy Jones. And you do Quincy Jones all the way up through. Modern jazz all the way up. To, oh, modern jazz quartet. We could go on and on and on. There needs to be a jazz hall of fame. And now, guess what? When you listen to jazz and you hear it coming from overseas, it's different than America. It has a different flavor. And there have been some amazing, amazing, amazing jazz artists in Europe. From Django Reinhardt to Stefan Grappelli, who to me is the world's finest violinist ever. And, and Stefan Grappelli played until his late 90s, or mid-90s. And his, in his 90s, he still sounded like he was a man of 20. He was so fast, and his licks were so incredible. So we could talk about this all day. There needs to be a Jazz Hall of Fame. Thank you for the call so much, Anthony. You sent me on a tangent that I loved going on. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back with you in a minute. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77, the music of Gamble and Huff brings us back OJ's. Two generations in this family of Eddie Levert. Of course, father of Levert. Tell, tell Russia to stop what they're doing in the Ukraine. Yeah, people all over the world. This is WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember, Larry Kudlow's up next. Let's head back to the telephones. Dom in Minnesota, thank you for waiting. What's on your mind this morning? Yeah, hi, James. You know, there seems to be no limit to the liberals' appetite for spending other people's money. I am an Indian, and I don't own a 7-Eleven because I lost my slight Indian accent a long time ago. <laughs> I love it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So you were just you were just talking to Princess Di about student loan forgiveness. Here's a solution that I just thought about might work. How about we hire a whole bunch of brain surgeons and offer to forgive their two hundred thousand dollar or more student loan on one condition? If they are each willing to operate on the brains of ten left leaning parasites, as President <laughs> Di, I mean Princess Di put it. And disconnect their free stuff brain nerves, starting with Pocahontas, Chucky Schumer, George Gascon, and the squad, and the rest of them. And maybe even throw Joe Bite me in for an extra 100000 <laughs> <laughs> You know, but in, in all seriousness, 
we can't afford to lose in 2022 and 24 if we want to prevent an irreversible cultural economic disaster to the U.S. of A and make communist China the king of the hill. And that's all I was. I have to say. This is serious. That it's laughing matter, but it's no laughing matter. That's that's my feeling. And that is exactly accurate, Dom. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Appreciate that, Walker. In Jersey City, New Jersey. Walker, thanks for calling. You're up next. What is on your mind this morning? Hi, James. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to point out that yesterday I was watching The Five on Fox, and uh, and Gutfeld uh, uh, quoted Rush almost word for word, you know, without attribution. But he said that he said that uh, when Rush, Rush a, f- a few years ago, he said that uh, conservatives think that liberals are wrong, and liberals think that conservatives are evil and that's exactly what gutfeld said now and uh, i don't know if he you know if he if he heard that from rush or if he came up that by himself but it's it's a great it's a great quote you know but the other thing that i wanted to mention is that you know the term racist and racial uh you know people you you can't be racist without being racial but you can say a something racial without being racist and 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 i and i feel like uh when somebody describes someone like a perpetrator as a you know as a as a caucasian male you know that's not racist that's describing who 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 committed the crime and uh and i feel like every time that 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 whole that that thing that that aspect sort of uh, uh, yeah, but even this, let, let me ask you a question about that, Walker. These kind of descriptions, what good do they do? Because they're, they're, they're meaningless. Oh, this person was white, this person was black. So what? They're like millions of people that fit that description. What good is it? The person is a criminal, regardless of those other attributes. Uh, so, But I do thank Walker. Thank you. What a wonderful, and thank you for that Rush quote. Since we're doing some quotes, let me just add two more that Princess Di brought to my attention. Uh, One was from uh, Bill Maher last night. Bill Maher said, I think life is for the living. Until you're born, you're not living. Get that. Until you are born, you're not living. I mean, yes, it's becoming a life, but it's not. So this is from Bill Maher. You're not living until you're a person, a human being doesn't live until they're actually born which is, I guess, why they can justify doing what they do to third trimester babies. And then also there was a quote from Rush Limbaugh. Now, in the 90s, David Letterman nastily attacked Rush on his position on abortion. David Letterman just went off on Rush. Rush's response was quiet but firm. Diana is reminding all of this. He said, I will never apologize for defending innocent life. That's an amazing, amazing quote. Let us go to Raphael. Raphael, make it quick. Hi, Raphael. Good morning, Mr. Golden. Hi. Yeah, good morning. Uh, Real quick. um, First of all, when you put the the music of uh, Saturday Night Live, I mean, Saturday Night Fever, Yeah, it brought me back memory because I bought two slides like he did in the movie after I saw the movie and ate up one on top of the other. Nice. My last last, uh, comment, uh, uh, Curtis Lee, when he was talking about 
the police and the train and all that. We need all that back in the, you know, we need the police back in the train. And even stop and frisk. As a Latino person, uh, they use stop and frisk for, they say they, they you know, they go after the, the, the minorities. Hey, they could stop me anytime they want because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't carry weapon. When the police stop me, I say, good afternoon, officer. How can I help you? Oh, good morning, good evening, whatever. I'm not afraid of stopping frisk. Boom. Be a good law-abiding citizen. Thank you. Thank you. Stop and frisk, of course, there are constitutional issues around it that have been, um, that stopped its use. But I got to tell you something. One day we need to have a discussion about profiling because we all profile, all of us. We all have the power of discrimination. We make judgments about other people. We make judgments about situations that we're in. We do that all the time. That's part of what being human is, the power of discrimination. Tomorrow, once a year, we celebrate Mother's Day. And I wanted to talk about Mother's Day because I've had the privilege in my life of knowing, just like all of you do, and seeing people that are incredible mothers. Different styles, different ways that they nurture children, and especially this year when we're talking about the right to live. And in some cases, mothers making that decision. I mean, I can list names, and the names would go on and on. Teresa. Judy. Judith. My nieces. Martine. Tashela. My aunties. All of them. My friends, Debbie. Lisa, Michelle, all of everybody. You know, these, the, everybody has their own style, but one thing is in common. Women that are mothers never stop mothering. I don't care how old their children get, they're always worried. You can be successful or you can be going through it. And your mother. worries about you like because you are her boy you're her girl always this is earth wind and fire by the way from the album last days of time mom Charles Stepney arranged this song. Larry Dunn has a beautiful piano solo here. But one thing, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I remember, and many of you probably, if you think about it, have a first memory of your dad. If you're lucky enough to be, you know, in a two-parent household. 
There's no first memory of your mother. From the moment you were conceived, you were with your mother. Your mother was with you. She's always been with you. She will always be with you, even when she's gone. I lost my mom two years ago. Uh, three days after Rush died, my mom died. And I don't care how long you have her. My mom was 94 years old. She lived a good life. My mom was amazing. To me, she was a saint. She was an angel. There will never be anybody like her in my life. I miss her every single day. I miss sometimes I go to the telephone to call her even two years later, and then I'm like, oh, wow, I can't. But I said everything to my mom that had to be said. My mom said everything to me that could ever be said from a mother to a child. And so this Mother's Day, if you haven't said that to your mother, I would encourage you to do it. You know, you can argue with your sisters, you can argue with your brothers, and you get, don't argue with your mother. You can even argue with your dad. But your mom... That's your treasure. And then when you see your children having children, wow. Because the love of a grandmother, there's nothing like that. I look at the way my sister with her grandson, you know, it's, and I look at the way that my grandmothers were with me. My grandmother and my, my paternal grandmother had arthritis really bad. She could barely move her fingers. I would sometimes take the bus up from New York City to Buffalo to visit her. And I found out later on she would get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning and start kneading bread because I loved her rolls by hand, even though she was in so much pain so that I, when I came, they were ready. That was my grandma. There's nothing like your mother. There's nothing like your grandma. They make life worth living, and they are with you every step of the way. Even when they're gone, they're with you. And so be with them. God bless each and every one of you and protect you and your families. Larry Cudlow's up next. We'll see you later. Bye.